organized crime flourishing under former President Jacob Zuma's administration. This was contained in the joint submission of uh, the Institute for Security Studies and Corruption Watch to the uh, Commission of Inquiry into Allegations of State Capture. First and foremost, quite a a big statement there. Give us the uh, uh, evidence you cited to come to this finding. Well, we've been tracking various crime trends very closely for most of the last two decades. And what we discovered from about 2011-2012 was a big shift in two of the most important crime categories, one being armed robberies and the second being murder. So since 2011-2012, the numbers of murders have increased by over 30%. That means it went up from 15,500 murders in 2012 to over 20,000 murders last year. Mm. Last year, there were almost 5,000 more murders than there was six years ago. And linked to that was the very big 40% increase in the number of armed robberies, armed attacks across the country. So in 2012, there were 100,000 of these attacks reported to the South African Police Service. And last year, there were just under 140,000. So 40,000 more armed attacks across the country last year than was the case in 2012. Now, we weren't surprised because what we've been looking at is the way that the former president, Jacob Zuma, exercised his constitutional powers in making key appointments to the police, the hawks, the national director of public prosecutions, the intelligence agencies and state. And from very early on in his tenure, literally two months after he was sworn in, uh, his top ministers irregularly appointed Lieutenant General Richard Mbluli to the post of national head of police crime intelligence. And I think most people are quite familiar that mm. it later emerged that Woodley was facing allegations ranging from corruption to fraud, kidnapping, assault, and even linked to murder. Um, and this pattern of appointing people to key positions who were manifestly unsuitable continued throughout uh, former President Jacob Zuma's tenure as president. And that impact on the criminal justice system was profound. So we saw quite a, a lot of improvement sort of up to about 2010 when we had the FIFA World Cup, lots of money being put in, lots of focus on improving the police and the courts. And then from 2011 onwards, the impact of these appointments started to have this profound effect. So we saw all the indicators of performance declining, lower detection rates for murder, robbery, and other organized crimes. Um, we saw fewer roadblocks, coordinate. Uh, search operations, policing patrols. We saw a big decline in the number of cases being finalized in courts by the NPA. And all this was occurring because the people at the top of the organization, many of the heads, were involved in uh, conduct that was undermining the morale of the many professional, hardworking men and women in these agencies and causing the agencies to fall apart. Mm. But you talk about manipulation of the criminal justice system. How was this done under both the President Zuma's administration and President Mbeki's administration? Well, yes, exactly. It didn't actually start as Jacob Zuma. It started with former President Tabo Mbeki. Um, It's manipulation in the sense that the Constitution gives the President immense powers to make appointments, such as the head of the police, the head of the NPA, intelligence, and so forth. Um, and what we saw is that the former president, Talvin Berkey, would also make appointments to these posts of people that he considered loyalists to him. Uh, they were often people who had credibility in the sense that they were very skilled, experienced. Um, so it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, and the excuse was generally that 
He obviously one of the people who shared the ANC's vision for transforming the criminal justice system and society. And so it was generally accepted that that, that the people who he appointed there would share those values and, and goals. Um, but they, they would do the job and they weren't necessarily corrupt. Although, of course, in the case of Jackie Slavia, it turned out much later that he was very corrupt. Um, so it started there. And then the impact was, for example, that when arms deal corruption that escalated up to almost 70 billion rand of taxpayers' money being paid because of uh, what we would now know to be quite large levels of corruption um, involved in the various contracts. Um, there was interference to stop that from happening. So Tavenberg is very clear to try and interfere, in making sure that uh, the investigations weren't well-resourced, that the, indep- the, 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 the agencies investigating weren't doing the jobs they were able to do. Um, again, there were about 300 cases that came out of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission where people who had committed gross human rights violations during apartheid mm. um, had been denied amnesty, and therefore those cases went to the NPA to be prosecuted. And we now know from affidavits in the recent court case from former NDPPs that there was immense political pressure not to prosecute those cases. But Tarvin Berkey was clearly not really in favor of the TRC or those prosecutions. So the number of examples where, even during Tarvin Berkey's time, he was using his authority and prerogative as president to influence and manipulate what the criminal justice system was doing and not doing. Um, Tarver, you know, President Jacob Zuma then accused Tarvin Berkey of manipulating these institutions to target him. And of course, you know, suddenly he was facing large numbers of cases. Uh, and counts of corruption and fraud and other charges. Um, there is evidence there, because we know Shabir Shekhovich was convicted in the same kinds of charges. Um, but it allowed him to say, look, I'm being prosecuted, persecuted, and it, made him, it enabled him to build this base of power, which got him propelled into the presidency. Of course, those charges were unlawfully withdrawn by an NDPP, Mokhtarian mm. Sheh. Again, another example of manipulation. So South Africa never really had completely independent and professional organizations that only look at the law and the facts and make sure that they're operating only in terms of the public interest. So what, um, are, you hoping, this what are you hoping the submission will do at the, the Commission of Inquiry? Well, we want, the, the main thing is to dem, uh, identify the root causes. Why are we fi- facing such high levels of murder and robbery? Robberies such as cash and transit heists, truck hijacking, car hijacking, many business robberies and house robberies are actually organized crime or linked to organized crime syndicates to deal in stolen goods. Um, so we have made the link that this manipulation, the reason why we are seeing deterioration in the police, the NPA, the public trust and so forth, despite big increases in the budgets for many years now, is because of this manipulation. We identify the root causes, and we then really want to direct the Zona Commission's attention to what needs to be done, firstly, in the short term, to recover from the criminal justice manipulation that we've seen for the last decade and more, and secondly, to start recommending structural reforms so that in the future, um, it doesn't matter really who the president is or who the ministers are, that the, the law and the policies that are in place promote professionalism, promote an ability for the agencies to be independent and do their jobs without fear and favor and are more insulated from the kind of political mm. manipulation that we've seen over the last few decades. Gareth, I see that uh, the submission has also made quite a number of recommendations. Take us through um, those recommendations briefly, please. Well, the first uh, recommendation, and probably the most important one for the short term, this is to recover from the, the impact of state capture, is to really, and it's in line with what's already contained as a recommendation in the National Development Plan, which was adopted in 2012 and hasn't been implemented 
Um, in that regard, it was focusing on the police and saying there needs to be a performance and integrity audits of all the officers in the South African Police Service because there's a serial crisis of top management. So what happens is that over the, with each of these appointments that were made, whether it was maybe some in the National Prosecuting Authority or it was Ria um, Piecha or, or Komotsu Paklani as national commissioners, they all then made a whole lot of other appointments into key strategic positions, often of people um, who didn't have the necessary skills and ability and expertise to fulfill the functions of those posts, but they were appointed primarily as loyalists to those people. And this happened in the Hawks as well. It's happened across the criminal justice system. And so while there are still many very good, um, highly uh, professional commanders in the Hawks, the police and the prosecutors and so forth, there are too many people around them who are appointed there because they're part of either enabling or benefiting from the state capture project. And that means that until you see a new leadership uh, team in the police, in the Hawks, in the NPA, until there's a been a stellar assessment of each of the posts, how, who they appointed, were they appointed properly and legally, do they have the necessary skills and abilities to fulfill the function of their post, until there's a review that's recommended in the National Development Plan and there's a rejuvenation of these different top leaderships of these agencies, nothing else is going to really change or allow for improvements. Because if, just, if you look at the South African Police Service, there are 32 lieutenant generals, about 100 major generals, um, they have a budget of almost 90 billion rand. And those people, those men and women, top 230, are responsible for making sure that police officers get the right training, the right resources, the support they need, that stations are working to clear standards, that, that corruption is being dealt with, that misconduct is being dealt with. But if they're not able to do that, um, then you start seeing a breakdown in their systems. For example, the disciplining system in the South African Police Service has dramatically deteriorated over the last three years. Um, so far fewer cops are actually being disciplined for uh, after investigations are found that there's evidence against for misconduct and corruption. Um, and then that provides more space for misconduct, more space for corruption. Those those challenges start to grow. So until we have only women and men in the top leadership of the South African Police Service who are able to fulfil the functions of the post that they hold, um, this this deterioration is going to continue. So that's the first very big important um, recommendation. It's not good enough to just point to one person. So we've got a new head of Hawks, new head of Crime Intelligence, and new National Director of Public Prosecution. But the president with the ministers needs to have a political project to support an independent panel consisting of experts who are known to be independent, known to integrity, to do a thorough assessment, both of performance and integrity of all these top managers and these institutions, identify those that should not be there and should be redeployed elsewhere, open those posts up to a competitive recruitment process that most of us have to go through when we apply for jobs so that we, we improve the leadership cadre. So that's the most important one for us in the, in the short term. Then, of course, you need to look at the capacity. The second key issue is to make sure that you have the skills to go after complex crime, organized crime and corruption. A lot of the people have the necessary forensic investigation skills and abilities to track, for example, complex schemes to move money offshore that's been stolen from the state have left the criminal justice system over the last decade or so because of working conditions deteriorating than on the private sector. So the criminal justice system doesn't really have those skills. There needs to be a kind of assessment. Do we have sufficient prosecutors who can do this, sufficient Hawks investigators who can do this, and make sure that those people are either brought back or those skills are developed? Um, we need to look at the culture of these organizations. Is it a culture, for example, in the police, where they understand that they're there to uphold people's rights, to treat people with dignity and fairness, and why it's important to have an ethos of professionalism so that every police officer, 
in the out in the streets, they know how important it is that every engagement they have with a uh, person, a civilian out there, leaves that person feeling more respectful of the police because they've shown a level of professional respect to the person they're engaged with. Um, and that's about how you recruit, how you train, and how you hold people mm. accountable. So that's about that. So there are about, about seven actual recommendations, and we're going to some detail. But essentially, it's a roadmap for if the current Minister of Police, the Minister of Justice, and the heads of these institutions want to know that they can definitely make a big improvement in criminal justice and therefore improve public safety in the next five years of this administration, um, these are the kind of things they need to pay attention to.